to ESPN's The Far Post podcast. We are back for some tilly takes and we absolutely cannot wait to crack in. We will be talking about the first of a two-game series against Canada. It was a 5-0 loss for the Matildas, so there was a bit to talk about out of this one. We can't wait to crack in. Before we do, though, we want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands we're recording on today, the Wurundjeri and Gadigal people, and pay our respects to their elders past and present. For today's episode, you've got me, Marissa Lordanik, Sam Lewis, Anna Harrington, and Angela Christian Wilkes. Friendos, uh, 5-0 loss to Canada. They simply were a class above this Tilly side in more ways than one. We had an Michelle Prince double in the first half and then three goals in 13 minutes in the second. So Chloe Lucas, Simi Awujo, and everyone's nemesis, Adriana Leon, just can't stop scoring against Australia. But um Except in the World Cup. Well Couldn't do it then. Oh World <laughs> Cup game, I miss you so much. <laughs> I loved all of the chat about like Canada are getting revenge and I'm like revenge for what in a friendly shut up um but anyway that's not what we're gonna talk about today um like I said 5-0 loss very different um lineups very different teams that both Canada and Australia decided to put out so it's probably not going to be so much football chat as a kind of chat about the decisions that have been made and what actually took place so like we said Uh, Tony flagged it. Tony said, we're going to use this game to be experimental. We're going to throw some kids in. You'll love the kids. Here are some kids. Um, And to kind of put it into context, the lineup that was put out had two debutants, which was, we love to see it, Charlie's Rule and Sarah Hunter making their Tilly's debuts. Um, But the lineup that we had had 429 caps in total, and it was really Polks and Tamika Yolop doing the heavy lifting in that 429 caps. Um, when the Tillies played the Philippines, there was 880 caps on the pitch for the Matildas. So that just gives you a little showing of the, the difference in experience. But how did we see this one? Let's talk about actually having such a young, inexperienced lineup and what this actually does for these players because people had opinions. Um, oh, so many opinions. <laughs> so many opinions. And fair enough. I think people are entitled to have opinions, like especially now people, especially if they came on board. No, just us. Only us opinions. Yeah. Sorry. Just, just <laughs> us. Sorry. Just no us. one else. But if you came on board during the World Cup, for example, you're not used to seeing these sorts of losses and you probably didn't see the Spain game, um, which was particularly painful. Um, but, yeah, it it wasn't good. Like I think straight away, Matildas were completely overrun in midfield. It was always going to be a tough task for Sarah Hunter. Claire Wheeler is a reasonably experienced player. I wouldn't cop that she's like a baby that was sent out to to, <laughs> to cop a thrashing here. Um, but the midfield just was completely overrun and it sort of dictated from there. Canada dominated shots. They dominated chances. Matildas, as we know, didn't fire a shot till like the 70-something minute once Mary Fowler um, shot when all a few of the big guns had come on. But yeah, it was just, it just felt um, as much as we know Claire Polkingholm was there, Ivy Lord was there, there were six players in that team that had less than 20 caps and, and you could feel it. Like you could feel it. The, first of all, um, and we're talking about this off off air before recording, those conditions looked awful um, for both teams. The artificial pitch, it was yeah. like just completely sodden. It looked 
slippery, it looked nasty, the ball was skidding all over the place. Um, yeah, no bueno. But anyway, um, you could just tell it was just this golfing experience. It, uh, three of the goals were from players being dispossessed in their own half. Um, there were some just, like, to be honest, Tegan Micah making three big saves kept the game alive until about the 43rd minute when they scored the second one, which got beaten at a near post. But Canada were just completely dominant. Like, Australia just had no foothold in it whatsoever. It was, yeah, pretty brutal. 5-0 was a pretty fair scoreline, to be honest, given the amount of chances Canada had. Could have been more. The bleeding got stemmed when some of the big dogs, for want of a better word, came on for that last half hour. It was brutal. Like, and I think we, we saw everyone would have seen Andy Harper and um, Amy Chapman's comments, um, I think, at halftime and also full-time about it. Um, it was difficult to really sort of get anything out of it. And I know that experience is priceless and players gain things, but they just got they just got smashed. <laughs> like, it was just, it wasn't really a, a contest at times. And, you know, we appreciate the, the lack of experience on these players. But I think the frustration was maybe also just some of the, the errors that crept in. The, the the lack of cohesion, I think, was also a big issue. Um, and I know there were different opinions, like um, should there have been more of a blend of youth and experience? That's something that Canada opted for. Um, I think maybe would have been something to look at. But we anyway, they're clearly for load management reasons, essentially, they couldn't play a really strong full-strength team. There were certain players on limited minutes, so the decision they made was to effectively save most of those players for the back end of this series, for the second game on Wednesday, when we expect to see a pretty close to full-strength Matildas. But it did mean that this first team was really full of inexperience and it they just got punished. Like, they didn't look near it. It, it, it looked demoralising at, at times. Some really tough moments for the young players and it doesn't mean that they did it, you know, necessarily... A, doesn't mean anything like about them not being up to it. Like your, your Sarah Hunters and your Charlie Rules, who both had some really nice moments. It's just that they were in their first caps against really good, fast, quality, smart players. And a Canada team that has a lot to play for with um, some big retirements led by Christine Sinclair coming up at the end of this series. But it, it was brutal, wasn't it, Sam? It was, but I, I think it's worth asking the question and talking about the extent to which... Tony Gustafson's hands were tied when it comes to this game. Like he acknowledged both before and afterwards that he tried to communicate much more clearly what the plan was when it comes to this game and the players that he chose. Because when we reflect back on the last time they copped a whopping, which was 7-0 against Spain in 2022, when a bunch of the big players were being rested, he, in hindsight, acknowledged then that he should have communicated better, that that was the purpose of that window, was to try and throw these players into the fire and see who comes out of diamond. And to be fair, some of them did. You know, we we saw players like Kara Cooney-Cross and, and Mary Fowler kind of emerging from the ashes of that of that um, loss to really put, a, put their name on paper, you know. So I think credit to him, he understood that he needed to communicate the same thing more clearly up front to everyone before this game. Yet it just seems like a lot of people have goldfish memories and they they completely forgot that that was what was going on. And I think, you know, he, he talks about player loads and it's worth thinking about how many of the bigger players had to travel from club football 
overseas to Canada to sit on the sideline of an artificial turf, which I think is a real problem at this stage. Like we need to talk about the fact that international football is still being allowed to be played on a field like this. I, I'm very mm. concerned about that. In those kinds of conditions, they've been in Canada for, what, two days? Um, some of them are potentially carrying some little things. They're playing a lot of club football back in England, and now they're expected to be thrown onto the field and play a meaningless friendly against Canada in front of 6,000 people at Starlight Stadium. Like, when you put it into the, its bigger context, I'm not surprised at all that this was the way in which he approached it. Yes, it's a shame that they got flogged. Of course it's a shame. You know, you don't want to see young players have their confidence um, sort of destroyed in in on it, particularly in their debut games. But in a in a game like this where there wasn't a lot of chemistry, they obviously didn't have very much time together in order to um, cement any good sort of combinations or, or anything like that. Um, but you know, to what extent was was Tony in his decision making thinking about the result versus thinking about the actual players who he could or could not call upon. Like, I don't think we'll ever really, like, he's not going to give us the medical reports and say, oh, by the way, here's the reason why all this happened, you know, because that's a that's a, a breach of privacy. But, you know, this guy just reached fourth of the World Cup. And I understand that there were player rotations and questions around that during that tournament. But, you know, cut him a bit of slack, you know. Like, I think they, even though they, they did lose, I think we saw some important glimpses from some players that, we do need answers on in the next eight windows before Paris if we get that far. So, you know, I think everyone just needs to chill out a bit. I think the really um, legitimate talking point around this, Sam, as much as you say this, was the balance um, and striking the balance between testing players out yeah. and throwing them to the wolves. And I know Claire Falkenhorn was out there. I know Tamiki Yellett was out there. I know Ivy Lewick was out there and they're all experienced. Tegan Michael's got some caps. But let's be honest, none of these players are probably yellow and poking home when there's been injuries. So really, rarely have these players been starting 11 players recently, um, just for that first bit of context. But I think it was, and it was this was something I did put to Tony post-game as well, was the conversation was, um, we know that there's loading and you want to play players, but it's the two options, I suppose. And Tony said as much, what we've seen, which is where you have a very second string, inexperienced, experimental lineup in the first game, and you know all the big dogs full strength um, in the second game. And I think I thought Amy Chapman actually talked about this really well around how much experience you have in versus how much youth, because as much as you want to test these players out, like let's be real, if you find Tony talks a lot about finding a player, if you're finding a player, you're not changing 11 players right we're not we're not going to see uh six players from this game that are going to be brought straight into the starting 11 next time and I think the difficult thing is when they are thrown in all together like this how how often are we actually going to see in competitive football Sarah Hunter and Claire Wheeler play together not often but we're probably a good chance of seeing Kara Cooney cross play with Claire Wheeler or um Sarah Hunter maybe if she gets called up play next to Katrina Gorey or Claire Wheeler with Katrina Gorey we're going to see these combinations of um of youth and experience. You're going to see the players that have some cohesion and chemistry play well together so that the ones that are being brought in, and I think we saw that, to be fair, in the Olympic qualifiers where Claire Wheeler was slotted in to where a Katrina Gori needed a break and, and she thrived. And, you know, because most players know exactly what they're doing and they know where, what their jobs are. They know how each other play. Um, there's level of understanding so that you can sort of compensate a little bit for the players who maybe don't. And, for example, Claire Hunt coming into a back line where you, Ellie Carpenter knows her job, Steph Catley knows her job. Um, 
before Alina Kennedy returned from injury. But even so, she sort of knew what she had to do, right? So it, it does make things that bit easier. I think that was the thing that people found difficult to watch. I know I, know I did at least, was the, the lack of cohesion. Like the, the heavy, you know, things are going to happen to young players. Like the Charlie Rule back pass to um, play Falcon Sarah Hunter gets caught um, in traffic, gets caught in her own half. Tony, to be fair, said, these are all on me. I want them to play like this. So if I can't criticise them, if they're trying to take it on, trying to play the ball and they get caught out. And I think that's all very fair. I think... It was just, and as you say, Sam, we're not going to get given the breakdown of, oh, well, Caitlin Ford can play 120 minutes this window and Ellie Carpenter can just play 90. They're not going to tell us that. Uh, I think the the level of frustration I felt from a lot of people was, could there have been more of a balance? Could we have seen if if some of these players, oh, someone's doing the brooms out out Northside today. Um, But was whether we could have seen that balance executed. Could we have seen um, an extra mid, a more experienced midfielder put in there just to stabilise things a bit, um, just to test things out? Um, and I do appreciate that there probably wasn't going to be another opportunity to give Sarah Hunter 60-odd minutes of international football. But I think that was the balance that would have been good to be struck. Of course, some of the errors, like the Adriana Leon goal, I think that's just a defence that's all but scattered in sixes and sevens and that that just wasn't good to see and a fair few of the goals do come about you know from these situations um and lack of experience but yeah I think I think that's the thing and Tony to be fair said as much he's like you could do that you could have a more balanced lineup but then you would um have two sort of samey for one of a better I'm using this here for one of a better term samey squads you know you're not actually going to have one game where you're testing out your full strength lineup before you're going into Olympic qualifiers and it sort of ties back to your point as well, Sam. There's very limited international windows. And I, I, I'm really frustrated. Um, I'm really happy for the Matildas as players because we saw this with the Spain situation that you have less players, apart from a, a Taylor Ray, for example, who thankfully is back playing football. You're not having senior players go down in the way that, say, an Alexia Pateas did because they're getting, you know, run ragged, down to the bone sort of stuff. But there is a level of frustration, I imagine, for these coaches and these staff that, because especially the ones based in Europe are playing so much football that when you get them in camp, you're actually barely able to use them. I, I can only imagine how yeah, exactly. frustrating that must be. Like um, Sam Kerr out with the foot injury. Um, be interesting to see how long she's actually out for. But even players like Ford, Catley, Carpenter unable to play because they're juggling so much between their league and cup competitions. Um, it, it's a bit frustrating for me. But yeah. Sorry to to waffle on, but it does it it did feel like the main issue a lot of people had was that was that lack of balance, and I can, to be fair, completely understand it. I, I'm not so sure that I did see some lines that yeah, a five nil loss will be demoralising, and I think that would suck. And I, but I don't think this was anywhere near as bad as the Spain game because that was just awful. That was like that was proper bloodbath areas. Um, I think a lot of these players will be okay. They've got good strong leaders around them there. Um, it's just ensuring, I think, that you don't have a another sort of Jessica Nass situation where you have an error early on in your international career and then we don't see you again and you've got to sort of... It's something that people bring up forever, right? Um, yeah, it's... Yeah, it, it was a difficult one, I think, for a lot of people to take. The, for me, the balance thing and the loading thing, I just feel like people don't take the loading thing seriously or they think it's an excuse and I'm just like, maybe it's because I have major anxiety, but my thought process is the alternative here is 
we do play a first string 11, they immediately go back to their clubs to play Conti Cup or Champions League or FA Cup or whatever it is, very English bias there in that, and then they get injured. And then the same people who use loading as a criticism are then saying, well, why didn't Tony Gustafsson rest these players? Why didn't he, you know, give them a break? He knows how much, you know, uh, work they're putting in in clubland. Why did we waste them, uh, in quotes, for two friendlies against Canada at the end of a year? So I feel like I do feel for Tony in the sense that it's a little bit like, well, he was going to be criticized whatever he did and it feels like in this case maybe the middle ground wasn't necessarily available to him doesn't mean that what he did was fun to watch or enjoyable to watch or anything like that but I feel like maybe the middle ground wasn't as available to him as maybe people were hoping or people are suggesting but yeah I just I had to talk about the loading thing because the way some people were talking about it it's just like no this is genuinely serious can you imagine if we lost players because of this window and then it's like we don't have them for the Olympics assuming we qualify that would be a disaster that's a genuine disaster not blooding some kids and letting them lose five nil to Canada like um, and that picture yeah. was grim as. <laughs> it just It just looks so difficult. And uh, one other thing I will note, because I would like to get Angela's thoughts, is that Tony did mention that the three late withdrawals, um, Mackenzie Allen fatigue and Mikey, okay, okay, goalkeepers. Um, but, like, Sam Kerr is obviously the big one. Um, and I think if you looked at the Olympic qualifiers and how they used Sam Kerr's minutes, I think it influenced how a lot of other players were deployed. Like, if you know you've got Sam Kerr, you can use a bit of here. You can maybe play Caitlin Ford for a few extra minutes here or Mary Fowler. Um, and I think the Holly McNamara one was actually quite a big injury um, in that context. In terms of wide players, um, I think Alex Chidiak's best football is going to be in a more central role if they're going to use her. I know she was a reprieve for this um, for this series, but I think they would have really hoped to really get a good look at a McNamara on the wing um, and that just adds those extra options. Um, and he did allude to that in terms of the those late changes forcing your hand because Sarah Hunter was, of course, one of the late ones brought in. Um, but, yeah, it does, like, more and more that the hand was forced. And as you say, Marissa, the, the Olympics really aren't that far away. Qualifiers are even less far away. They're, like, literally two months away, two and a half months away. Um, but, Angela, I'm really keen in your thoughts on what unfolded. I think... I don't know. I'm a bit grumpy about because I think my initial reaction was definitely linking back to, yeah, the moments like the Jessica Nash moment where it feels like that would have such an impact on a player's confidence and just being like a, feeling like a little bit cautious about that aspect because as Amy Chapman spoke about after the game, like you would hope, I mean, and we've, gone over this in depth but you would hope that there was a bit more experience through the spine of like the lineup and so for example I'm like okay so Emily Van Egmon played 45 minutes in the second like she played a half was that the possibility of playing her in the first half and then you have her next to an Amy Sayer or you have her next to a Remy Seamson and it's not I, I suppose also in the first half we won't get in the ball anywhere near the goal so I don't, I don't know if that would have made much of a difference but um I, I'm okay with the kind of you know baptism of fire thing as long as the players involved get 
another like more opportunities to to prove themselves in um stronger lineups um like we've seen with the development of Akira Cooney Cross um so I think that's where I kind of sit with it and I don't think I I definitely don't it doesn't seem like you know even looking at the lineup and, and how it went down, it definitely doesn't feel like this is like the players being given this one golden chance to prove themselves. On the other side of that, I do feel a little bit apprehensive about the fact, like, for example, Remy Seamson and Alex Chidiak, like what was Tony's plans originally before all of the injuries and the call-ups and that kind of thing? What were his intentions with these games and what was he hoping to look at? Like you said, Haro, Holly McNamara, massive loss, and she would have been... It would have been so exciting to see how she would have gone had, you know, ACLs not existed. Um, but all of that aside, um, yeah, like I said, additional like opportunities in the future. I definitely don't think this is the last we're going to see of like Sarah Hunter or Charlie Rule. I just really do feel for them because like there was just babies, little babies, and they're next to each other. And I just yeah. But given the circumstances, I think that like they both. Like everyone did quite well under the conditions of being thumped because it can't be easy. Um, I think also with the loading stuff as well, it's like one of those long-term payoff things that, again, like isn't front of mind for a lot of people, but um, friend of the pod, Tom, pointed out, you know, we got to a World Cup and the only substantial injury really that, we had to think about once we got there was the Sam Kerr calf, which, you know, dominated headlines and our thoughts constantly for the first few weeks of the World Cup. But other than that, we didn't have to stress too much. Whereas if you do compare that to a Canada, they had a lot of important players not at the World Cup, mm. um, like Nichelle Prince, who had, like shone in this game. And I think when I looked at it, it was a hundredth game. So I guess good for her. Um, but she wasn't at the World Cup because of, you know, recovering from or didn't play much at the World Cup because of an ACL injury. And we were just like, so I guess there's an element of luck in that. And we had players like Ellie Carpenter coming back um, from ACLs that were kind of timed in strangely, in, in, in a good way in the end. But yeah, like in terms of loading, that's the payoff that we get to see. And I, like you've, you've talked about, hopefully we get to see that with the Olympics. So like... When you, on paper, this looks bad, but at the same time, it's like, again, all of that context is not necessarily um, very visible when you're looking at like the list of Matilda's results from the past, you know, a few months. It's not going to have, well, this was a friendly and this was this and this was that, why that was happening. So, just, yeah, I'm kind of stuck in the middle between being like, uh, yeah, like, let's cool our jets. Um, but also I think there is a little bit of criticism due for how the game is managed. But I think it's very valid. I think it's very valid criticism. And I think Tony would probably acknowledge just as much, like, um, the yeah, the frustration. And I, I agree with what you say there, Angela. I think where people get frustrated is they think, I think you, a lot of people's minds automatically go back to Spain. And to be fair, a lot of the kids that we talked about from that game came off the bench. But you don't really see them again. You, it's the, I think this is where uh, Andy Harper, for example, was quite frustrated that you get the feeling that these players are thrown out there, they have the really tough time, and then, you know, the big dogs come in to save the day in the second game and um, sort of 
forget about them. Um, I, I also like to have some optimism that's not going to be the case because you look at an Amy Sayer who has been sort of thrown in with the starting players a fair bit, is getting some experience, had that um that really nice assist um for Tamika Yallop during Olympic qualifying. I think those sorts of things give you some good reason to be optimistic. It, it is hard to see what she and Seamson were going to get out of a lot of that game, which was toiling, toiling, toiling with very little ball coming their way, a really difficult time. Yeah, I think we're we're gonna go we're in danger of going around some circles here a little bit. Um I've called on it a lot since I think when I first was watching the game at the time. Um, I think the players sort of knew a little bit where this was going to go. But at the same time, you, you look at some of this loading and you go, could, I think, Angela, your point's super valid there, that could Emily Van Egmond have started and played 45 minutes just to give that bit of structure? I think when she came on, she at least gave them a bit more of a foot on the ball. Could you, if you're playing around with loads or you I'm not playing with apologies. If you're adjusting according to loads, could you start one or two of those experienced heads early and then hook them at half time? Like get things off on the right foot. You know, just get allow your your Charlie Rules and your Sarah Hunters, if they're starting, to start with some extra experience to get a foothold in the game. Or you start with a, a Wheeler and Gorry or something like that, just to try that combination out. And then you go, okay, Minnie, you've done well. Claire's playing well. Let's bring Sarah Hunter in because... We know how vocal a Claire Wheeler can be. She can be a really good player to have alongside it. But if you can start the game on a really positive note and just avoid some of those early chances, and I know um, Tony's been talking about playing possession football, and I'm sure we're going to see that with the full strength team, but Canada had all the ball as well. Like, it was all just so difficult. It wasn't like, you know, Australia was sitting back, as we've seen in the World Cup, and then going and attacking there wasn't really anything on the counter-attack. There were very few chances to do anything. As we said, there wasn't a shot until the 70th minute or so. Yeah, it's just, I wonder if they will look at it and go, and I'm sure they will. They're constantly reviewing these things. And would they look at it and go, could we have had some of that experience on at the start and hook them off gradually? As we say, it's a friendly. No one's going to think that you're you're dropping Katrina Gorey if you play her for... 35 minutes and then take her off before half time. Like they're going to go, oh, there must be a reason that you've, you know, you've done those sorts of things. So I'd be interested to see um, how they do it. And I, I feel like there was a level of trying to get this other 11 to work things out a bit themselves. Um, but it was very noticeable that the, the bleeding stemmed once some more of those first string players came on. I also wonder a little bit, we're talking a lot about loading. Um, I don't have the numbers and the stats in front of me at the moment, but how much of that conversation skews towards like prioritizing the, the, you know, the strong players, the starting 11 and that kind of thing, because presumably some of the players that we saw out playing this game, they also have pretty hectic club schedules. Not all of them. There's a couple of notable players where the actual, um, context around them is that they're not getting enough minutes where they're playing but on the other side of that to the best of my knowledge like a Claire Polkinghorn is playing a lot at the moment um Amy say to a degree so that's another I'm I'm interested in how that plays out because maybe eventually we'll reach a point where we've got squads where all of the players loading has to be considered because they're all playing lots of club minutes at really good clubs that are competing a lot um I don't know if that's something for the future possibly but yeah at the moment it does sort of skew towards you know protecting players 
our stronger players but at the same time I acknowledge that those stronger players are often at clubs that have more hectic schedules because they're playing Champions League or they're playing Conti Cup or whatever it is but yeah not to harp on about it no pun intended too much but I also wonder the extent to which the senior players felt uncomfortable playing on artificial turf as well coming into that game yes player loading and medical reasons and carrying niggles and things like that would affect it but you know I've not been in those dressing rooms or in those conversations with a head coach but having played on artificial turf having seen the rates of injury across these kinds of environments if I was a senior player knowing that I had a whole heap of really important club football just around the corner and I was coming on to Uh, or coming into a window where the first game is on a surface that I haven't played on for a long time that I feel uncomfortable playing on because I've experienced it in the past it's hard it's it's fast it's it's not it's it's not grass this is the thing there's a reason why international football in the women's game increasingly is not played on artificial turf and we saw what happened and all the controversy around the artificial surfaces in Canada in the 2015 women's world cup as well and how that sort of led to a couple of major injuries too. Like how many of these senior players came into camp knowing that they were going to be playing on artificial turf and just said, you know what? No, thanks. I don't actually want to play that. I don't feel safe playing on that field. Um, at length, how much would, would that have been taken into account as well? It's the other thing. Like we're not, we're not behind the scenes. We don't see these conversations. We don't know all the different factors that are at play when it comes to the, the final 11 that we actually see on the pitch. And important to note, BC places turf as well. It's not grass. Yeah. Um, albeit it's a bigger stadium. Um, there's also the, the situation with turf where it's it's just very heavy, heavy loading wise on your body as well. Um, just running yourself into the ground. So they would have taken that into consideration. Um, I imagine BC places a. I don't want to say more well maintained, just a more it's a more regularly used at the top level because it's their big stadium in in Vancouver. Um, so I think we'll come into it. But, yeah, I think there would be a level of players not wanting to necessarily play two games on artificial. I know the players in Sweden, Tony said about it, um, he chose players like Polkinghorn and Lewick, I think, because they play a lot on artificial in Sweden, um, whereas you could tell, I think, the players who don't play it because, well, I know Polkinghorn had the issue with that back pass, but the way the ball was skidding, the way they really struggled to get to grips with the surface, yeah. Australia compared to the Canadians, that was something I noticed early in the game. They really couldn't get a handle on it and it really did play into Canada's hands as well, as any home ground should, to be fair. It should play into your own hands um, with their speed and some of their combinations. And Yeah, Jeeves are impressive, Canada. Um, I'll be really interested to see if they can back it up in this second game where we do expect to see more more experienced Matildas um, because I think Bev Priestman even would have, would have surely acknowledged that they clearly weren't playing a, a first-string Matildas team. Um, but... They, I thought they really nailed that balance and Bev talked about it post-match, their balance of experience and youth. We had some experienced heads doing some important work, but it was a lot of the younger players or, you know, players who've been building back from an injury like a Prince who really shone. And I think that's, I think that probably also tied into a lot of people's frustrations, right? You go, oh, but they can do that. <laughs> why didn't we get that experience in this first friendly, you know? Um, why didn't we get to see a young player? Um, we know Tony often talks about, especially early on Fowler and Cooney Cross, for example, like sparkling, letting them sparkle um, while senior players took on some of the load. And again, I'm not going to rehash everything we just said, um, but they, yeah, it, 
it's kind of like you, you got to see what they could do where some of their young players really flourished. And you hope that, that we get to see some of that in this second game because, I, I once again, I doubt we're just going to see every starter play 90 minutes. I think there will still be some rotation come through. Um, and hopefully we get to see something good for some of these players that, that did slog it out in pretty brutal conditions the other night. I have one thought, if I may, and please tell me if this is really obvious and it's like, duh, Marissa. Um, so going back to obviously like the selections and I know it was mentioned in the lead up about winning a player. That's the That was the catchphrase that was used in the Spain game and it was used in this game as well. With the Olympics coming up, God willing, Uzbekistan willing, like um, just need to put that out there. With the Olympics potentially coming up and a potential Olympic squad coming up of 18 players, was the focus maybe not actually on your Charlie Rules and your Sarah Hunters, but the players that are actually already in a 23-player World Cup squad and seeing if they can actually be called upon when needed to, which we know is not what happened at the World Cup. So my thought process is a Courtney Nevin, a Claire Wheeler, to a lesser extent an Amy Sayer. Was this game maybe more about seeing how they do against tough opposition in really trying circumstances with not a lot of support around them, but to see if they could actually sink or swim in a high-level thing because we know that that wasn't the case in the World Cup. Like, Claire Wheeler wasn't called upon to give uh, Gori or Cooney Cross a spell for half a game and then we obviously saw the results of that as we got to the semifinals in the third-place game. Like, is that maybe something? That's a really, really good point, Marissa. Yeah, I don't think a lot of people have maybe thought about this, but you're right because when we look at some of the the players who did stand out to some extent against Canada – they are the peripheral players when the senior squad are out there doing their thing. It's a Claire Wheeler. It's a Courtney Devitt to some extent. It's an Amy Sayer and it's a Tegan Micah. Those really were the players for me that I was like, yeah, I feel comfortable with them. They weren't disastrous. You know, they weren't fantastic, but they were good. They were solid. They were the kinds of players that you would expect them to be. And I think by virtue of their changed context, which is the players around them, we got to see them in a different environment. We got to see them react in different ways to take on leadership, to do other things and add other elements to their game that maybe their previous roles being sort of drip fed into the senior side would not have revealed quite as dramatically. Um, And yeah, and I think like coming off the back of this first game, I do think a Claire Wheeler has put up her hand to go to the Olympics. And I do think a Courtney Nevin has put up her hand to go to the Olympics because we've seen that she's able to take set pieces from Seth, Seth Catley. You know, she's a left footed left back, um, which is a, ra- a rarity really in international football um, for Australia. So yeah, I think there, there are some players who by virtue of just like the circumstances that they found themselves in were able to, do I think what Tony was probably asking them to do behind the scenes. He was wanting them to show what they are capable of in very challenging circumstances and without the um, sort of the SOS rescue me players around them as well. And some of them did stand up and some of them fell down, but that's the point of these friendlies, right? Is that us done for today? Have we dissected the... uh... The carcass that was the 5-0 loss enough. (laughs) 
I think I think so. I think again, we're in danger of going around in in circles. Um, I do. I would like to briefly mention. I was as much as she had a couple of difficult moments. I reckon Charlie Rule's super impressive in the air mm. for a fullback. Uh, I thought a few of her it is a good. Um, Tony talked about she played centre back for a bit of the game near the end. I think a lot of people by this point were like. You could have told me Charlie Rule was playing striker, and because <laughs> I think a few people had switched off by this point. To be fair, I think it is important to take that into consideration when we talk about this. Like, this is the day after they'd won the Don Award. You know, people are, in, you know, enjoying all that stuff, talking about how good the Tillies, and it's, it is just a, a thumping way to get brought, brought brought back to earth. So, anyway, that yeah, that was all difficult. I I will be fascinated to see how things go in this next game. Um, it's clearly going to be a very different lineup. I mean, Tony said as much. Um, I'll be interested to see if any of the players um, that played heavily, like a Saya, for example, play, because there isn't a Sam Kerr. Um, will we see the the Van Egmond-Fowler partnership resumed? I'm really going to be interested to see that. Will Caitlin Ford play central? Um, I think it's pretty safe to say that, you know, bar any hiccups, we are going to see all the big dogs come back. And friend of the board, Har, did mention that I think it was no players from the starting 11 in Melbourne played the other day. So it was a complete, sorry, started the other day. So it was a complete turnover in in that sense. And I think we will see players do that. Uh, yeah, just start and go from the, go from the outset. And I'm going to be really keen to see how Canada handle that because I think that will feel a lot more like a real um, showdown if we're going to use the revenge line um, compared to that game the other day. And there's also going to be that huge emotional wave because it will be Christine Sinclair's last game. You anticipate she's going to start. She came off the bench the other day and they did some really nice stuff around her for the for that game. But it's going to be a hugely emotional occasion. Like friendlies aren't often, don't often carry that level of emotion. Um, so I think that will be really interesting to see how both Canada and the Matildas handle that because it's not it's not backs to the wall. It's not a World Cup backs to the wall situation by any means, but you, it's going to be a very charged occasion in that sense. So I'll, I'll be really interested to see how um, how everyone handles it. I think Christine Sinclair is going to be a big topic of conversation in our next pod. So obviously we can't wait to talk about that and also just gush a little bit because I think we're all big Sinclair fans on this pod. But obviously we have our second game on Wednesday, the 6th of December, kicks off 2pm Australian Eastern Daylight Time. You can watch that on Channel 10 and Paramount+. Plus. So Tune in and then tune in to us a day or two after. We'll talk all about it. We can't wait. But as always, we're over on ESPN.com.au and the ESPN app. You can follow us on Spotify, Apple, all of your usual pod spots. If you like what we do, leave a review and subscribe. If you want to have a chat to us, we're at the Far Post Pod on all social media. But until next time, go Tillies and Slayers. (laughs) 